The opinions in this program are not necessarily shared by the Cortez Radio Board of Directors or staff. DFO, this is what you're doing, you gotta stop it. This is what you're doing, you gotta stop it. This is what you're doing, you gotta stop it. You're listening to Cortez Community Radio 89.5 CKTZ. This is Max Tyson for Cortez Currents. Today we are visiting with Tina Wesley from the Clues First Nation. She's going to tell us about the situation with fish. Here I am the Fisheries and Resources Manager, which is a huge passion for me. Um, I protect all our resources, whether it's on water or land or air. I also protect our community because I'm the first responder here. Um, I took on my first year home. Um, I took on um, creating the emergency management program that wasn't here. I created it, um, created a committee. Um, I started creating it so that we can start uh, being more prepared. I've trained with the Coast Guard and I've also gotten into oil spill response which comes into protecting our ocean. I'm also search and rescue and I found that there's no such thing around here and that's when I found the fire department and I joined right away. This is part of, part of my life here is being a part of the fire department. But as a fisheries officer and manager, um, I work for DFO but I also work for our nation. Uh, my office is a government office and um, I, um, I'm answerable to DFO as well as uh, the person who is my, uh, I'm their portfolio, is Michelle Robinson. She's um, one of our counselors here, but she's also social development. She wears many hats. <laughs> so I work really closely with her and um, Billy Barnes. Uh, he's my uncle, but uh, they, um, they help me a lot with uh, projects that are on the go and uh, making things happen here. The opportunity to come work for my nation is the uh, best job ever. You know, I'm home and, uh, you know, buying my home and doing a job. I love that I always tell everybody it's not a job. Uh, it's a passion. And my passion is to protect my resources and my people. So that's why I wear the hats that I do. Um, I only get paid for one job, though. And one of the hugest things right now is providing... Um, for our nation, our, our natural, uh, traditional foods, and um, when it comes time to the food fishery, I get really busy, a lot of hours and days until it's complete, and it means um, having uh, a rapport with our fishermen. Um, I'm accountable uh, in many levels, whether it's writing up permits and uh, transport permits and fishing permits and licenses to my fishermen, work really closely with him, and to make sure that um, the quota that we need and that comes in it's fresh and we deliver to each band member and uh, one of the deployments of that is here in Squirrel Cove another one's in Cam River one's in Powell River one is in Vancouver and this is to ensure that all our members get some food um, our traditional foods in their freezers and because of the reduction in numbers due to a lot of things whether it's the fish farms or whether it's industries the busyness of the ocean with uh, the traffic, um, we're finding there's a lot of issues, environmental issues that are happening, you know, whether it be the oolican, whether it be our salmon, uh, it's depleted so badly. We don't even have an oolican run anymore. We don't have a, a herring run here. Um, so we rely on everything that's in the ocean. We rely on that for our, our sustenance every year. And when I came back home and started this position. The food source, it was, it was somewhat stable, somewhat okay. 
And as the years have gone by, it's just gotten worse and worse. We didn't get sockeye this year. We didn't get sockeye yes last year. Um, and a year before that, the numbers were so small. Um, I can't even remember the numbers were so small per person. Um, I think it was like five or something. Um, I'm trying to remember the numbers off the top of my head. I can't think right now, but it, it can be much if you can't remember. <laughs> um, so sockeye is huge for us. It's one of the things that, you know, whether you want to talk about the omegas or when you want to talk, talk about how great it tastes or, you know, barbecue seasoning or canning so you can last through the winter. Well, we don't have any of that. We have none of that to talk about because there is none. Uh, one of the things to look at when it comes to, uh, say, just for example, the sockeye run, that's what we're looking at right now, is what was it like four years ago from, from today? Because whatever's happened four years ago, five years ago, affects our fish today. So back then, you know, whether it be really, really hot, we were dealing with the fish farms. Um, we're dealing with uh, huge industries, and um, it all plays a part. Dumping in there in the ocean is part of it. It's um, also overfishing, um, DFO's management of our oceans. Um, if they're overfishing and you know they they try to do their best for you know estimating because they do test fishery, they try to estimate what there is. But um, between that and how they managed everything over the years has a lot of damage. Um, that's unrecoverable and now it's like okay how do we get it back and a lot of meetings I go to a lot of fisheries meetings um, I work with them I work with our nations and it's hard being in the middle you know because um, they try to manage everything you know and it's um, you know whether it's the monies that uh, come into the nations they, they come out of our, our INAC monies or whether they come you know, government monies or no matter where it is, you know, they manage the monies, they manage the waters and it's not working. And so a lot of meetings that have come up and they ask the nations about, you know, okay, what do we do now? Can you help us? You know, because what do we do? You know, it's because the numbers are so bad and, you know, sure you hear everybody going out and they're catching a fish, you know, whether it was they caught a Chinook or they caught a rock, uh, a rockfish or, you know, and you imagine the depletion. I mean, you could put, you know, when I was a kid, you know, the creeks and rivers, I mean, raised in Toba most of my life. Um, you know, I used to, my dad and I used to go up one of the creeks and you could just reach out and grab a fish and almost walk across a path because it was so thick. Um, and as I got a little bit older, you know, there's lots of fish. But then, you know, later, you know, you come back home and, you know, it's like, okay, well, we've been out here a couple hours. We've got a fish. We should go home now. So, and, and now, you know, when I did the Chinook uh, program out here, checking with people, they, you know, they'd start putting their rods in about 8 o'clock, and we, you know, we start bumping, I mean, we'd cover all of our territory, all the channels, and then all the way up into Toba, up into Butte, we'd hit all the channels up and down and around in our territory, and um, there it's 2, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, run into somebody, no, we haven't caught anything yet. Uh, yeah, we caught one, and... Yeah, we caught another one that was really little, and they're out there all day. So, you know, it, it's not just us going out there as a nation looking for our food. It's people that are out there, they're looking for food. We have another program going on right now where we have our community garden. Um, we raised 100 chickens, and um, my sister had a bunch of them in her yard. Uh, a couple of cages, I had a couple of cages. 
and um, we had one up at Kathy's and you know we raised a hundred chickens and then uh, we did a slaughtering day and um, were able to put some in the freezer of our community. Uh, now we're raising pigs <coughs> and uh, we have five pigs right now they're, they're getting pretty big. Um, next we're hoping to get into the cows. Um, hunting season we're going to have to um, go into our territory and get our elk and um, provide for our nation again and it's you know whether it's the expense of food the lack of of our cultural food in the ocean we have to find ways to provide because you know the the um, shellfish and fish industry is so depleted and what we rely on is the chum late September to beginning of October I'm usually really busy and ensuring you know because the fishermen too you know they're out fishing food fishing for me and uh, provide for the nation and they're fine the numbers numbers aren't there so that means nothing for the winter for our freezers that means pulling through you know the, the rest of October and all of November and December January February March um, uh, the prawns I get for them you know is what they the probably the next thing they'll get is in the spring because right now even the chum numbers are small um, so yeah it's it's harsh all the way around people that just walk into a store and pick up you know say they they their delicacy is a, a slab of sockeye um, they got it from somewhere and it was somewhere that you know whatever the numbers were great at that moment in that place whether it was Alaska or coming down the, down the pike there especially when you're on a remote island or you're a remote uh, community, many remote communities up and down the coast, and we rely on that because we don't just walk into Walmart or a corner store every day and buy our fresh uh, seafood that we rely on. Um, so it's hard. It's hard to watch, you know. And um, I mean, I can imagine you go walk into um, Savon and go look for a slab of sockeye. It's about this big, and you probably pay about 43 bucks for it. Um and that's just something you know, people can't afford, you know, and um, even us, you know, we're not poor, but I'm not going into the store to go get my traditional food out of a store and pay 43 bucks for it, right? Because it's just crazy. And uh, it's, it's so high because the numbers are so scarce, there's not much left out there, right? So, How many times and how many meetings I've gone to, guess what? We need to turn to our First Nations people to help us. How do we get out of this? How do we... How do we get back to the way it used to be and it's um, something we're working on it's something that uh, that's why you see a lot of um, really pushing the monies in um, habitat restoration and, and, and bringing up hatcheries um, and that's the difference between fish farms and hatcheries and you know the way the industry they're trying to grow things really quick to provide a quick fix but you can't hatcheries have to be a wild pristine strain so you get good quality fish um, like when I run my hatchery um, it was so bad last year that there wasn't enough chum eggs to supply my hatchery my hatchery went without for the year hoping for eggs that um, that we can I might have to go up north to see if they have some of their rivers are better um, and as you notice that some rivers are really good like the Nimkish River they got enough to provide for their nation up north with the Fraser River when they had the big huge bar when they hit the big landslide um, nothing went when that happened four years after that just be absolutely nothing what little they got um, they bucketed up top and let it go and you hope that a lot survived but it'll be dwindling numbers right 
the fish farms, they think they're, they're providing and making things better, but they're not. Um, for one, they're Atlantic salmon. It's not part of our coastal salmon. Um, but um, our five species that we have, you know, that's what should be taken care of. And, you know, those fish farms are all from like Norway and there are huge companies that they destroyed their industry and their fishing and the diseases and everything over there. So they brought it here. So they've done and repeated it. So, you know, it's another problem that's affected our salmon, you know, is the fish farms. They're turning to all the First Nations people and they sit down and we talk. You know, we talk about, okay, what do we need next? And um, there's a lot of people with uh, great ideas. We had this big, huge uh, meeting last year. Things are still on the table. Things are still talked about. And so once they went through that, I think we went through three days, three days of flipping charts and flipping pages of all the screens of stuff that we've said and what we want and what our complaints are and what the issues are and the changes that need to be made and DFO, this is what you're doing, you gotta stop it. This is what you're doing, you gotta stop it. This is what you're doing, you gotta stop it. It's always the same thing. You know, the numbers are low and there's not enough for anything and we get our DFO um, notices that come out and you print them off and it says to all First Nations um, communities, all uh, food fisheries closed. So it's been doing that day in and day out. <laughs> yeah, it's not good. It's just going to get worse. So um, make some changes. And, and I guess the positive side right now is that with there being no fishery is what little we have left. We'll make it to the rivers and you know, spawn out and um, hopefully refurbish. But you got to realize that by the time they're old enough to come out and they hit the oceans, you got to look at their size and you got to think about they got to last for four years. What seal got them? What whale got them? Um, what chemical got them? You know, what fisherman got them? Um, what temperature hit them, you know, all those things. And then by the time all those depletions come, what you have left, it, it's going to become a place where they're extinct because only by the time all the eating and chemicals and temperatures take everything, this is what's left. Prawns is one of the things that I provide for our nation. I have a fisherman that goes out and um, he fishes for me, fresh product. He does test fishery, trying to come up with poundage per day. By the end of the day, 24-hour period goes by, I go check, and they're empty. He'll check another trap, they're empty. So he'll move, he'll get, you know, maybe 20 pounds in a trap, and another one he'll maybe get 50 pounds. Another one, nothing. So when he used to be able to just drop it and go, you know, come back, drop it late in the evening, and then go back first thing in the morning, it used to be full. Now he's, he's like everywhere trying to find somewhere to lay them to find. And we're finding that a lot of reports that I had to do for observe, record, and report is um, we have uh, certain boats that are not First Nations, that are not um, a commercial industry that does things right. Um, there are people that just go and pillage all night. Another boat comes in and comes to take their product in the middle of the night and then we'll just keep on the traps going, emptying them and giving it to a, a freezer boat and they'll keep going all day and night and move to another spot and they have hundreds of traps up there and day and night just pillaging and 
Um, and it wasn't just me putting in reports. There's others that saying, yeah, there's this boat. It's been sitting here for days. Um, food fishery for that. My fisherman goes out and he's having problems. You know, he's not finding the prawns like he used to. And sure, in, in time, things move over. And, you know, whether it be the weather or whether it be the tides, you know, <clears throat> they'll slide over a bit and you still can chuck and lay them out a certain way. You can find them. But he's not finding them. Um, and especially the hot spots for years and all of a sudden they're gone because he's been fishing since he was a kid. Um, and it's about conservation. It's about leaving some for next year and leaving some for the following year and not fishing when the females are going to be hatching due. And, um, and that industry is, so, is starting to deplete. Where, like right now, we have a bay over here that we always got butterclams from. You won't find any butterclams in there anymore. Just all of a sudden you go back and there's nothing. Um, look at the ulkin, you know, a lifetime of ulkins that we depended on year after year and, you know, all our ancestors and handed down from generation to generation. While my generation, um, when I was a kid, uh, it was something that was there when I was really, really young. And now I, I've never heard of a, such a thing as ulkin being around here. So that's something a project that we really want to work on is bringing them back. Um, herring? There's no such thing as herring anymore. Um, but yeah, the hugest one that it's impacting us right now is the prawns one. Yeah, people need to see the big picture. I'll get something from the store and I can't find it. I'm like, oh, okay, well, I'll get it next time. And you pick something else. Well, that's what people are doing and they're not noticing the big picture of that. Um, I believe that our salmon, I think it should be on the Sarah's list because it's, you know, um, on the list endangered species. That's their guideline is conservation first. Um, and then um, First Nations get to get their food fish and then um, the commercial fishermen get to go in and make their living and then the sporties and uh, recreational people get to go in. So that's their guidelines as well as ours. Um, even if there was no DFO and there were, go back a hundred years, a thousand years, we always put conservation first. Um, and it's something, I mean, even my chicha and my dad, I mean, it's something we talked about. And especially my dad, I work alongside him and fished alongside him most of my life growing up of always take only what you need. These guys have to come back and bring us more next year. We were accused of um, hoarding and that we don't know anybody in our territories. We don't want anybody fishing but us. But that's not what it was about. It was, we're conservation first. <laughs> I remember I have a brother-in-law and my sister, they're fishermen. It was great for them in the middle 90s. It didn't matter what wharf you went to. There was like hundreds of boats tied up, all the fishermen. Even here, there's not a single fishing boat for this community because there was... You know, the industry, the numbers, the fuel, the ice, the wages, the poundage, um, you name it, everything you could think of that could go wrong for a fisherman did. And it's like, well, the boat sits there another year, another year. Um, no more industry to uh, have money every year to provide for their families and um, that pays the house bills and puts food on the table and okay, well, we have no money, we have nothing. Okay, well, I better sell my boat. So they sell their boat, that's their livelihood, they got to sell it. And just so they get some money and key people, <laughs> key people and rich people, you know, bought up the licenses, they bought up the boats and 
Before you know it, there's no fleet of anything. The First Nations people that who had the hugest uh, fleet, the First Nations people were fishermen, and it's gone. There's uh, select chunks of people that still hung on to their, their licenses and their boats, and it's sad to watch. Um, that's what should be on the Sarah list, is no more fishing boats and no more fishermen with their boats. Um, that's it's rare to see. Um, I mean, the industry is still there, the fishermen are still there, but it's not like it used to be. We've had to go out and create a sustenance, which I was telling you about. The hundred chickens, the pigs. Uh, my sister uh, got some funding and she built this fence. It's on the side and behind in her yard. It got built and the community pulled together and built it and put it together. And uh, my, my sister and Michelle and uh, Billy Barnes, my uncle and myself, we went down down island and we uh, went and picked up our little pigs and now they're giants. <laughs> so it's going to provide sustenance and that's what we've had to turn to was creating our sustenance. Our community garden goes all year, or not all year, but a huge chunk of the year so we can gather and provide through the summer and spring and summer and into fall best as we can. Um, and that's what we've had to resort to because the sockeye wasn't there, you know, and um, it, it's sad. It, it's just something, it's like, like you asked, it's like, how do you address this? And I think the best thing we can do right now is finding other means of sustenance to provide for our people and slowly work on, work with other nations, which I do, and with DFO and say, look, we need changes. Um, it's just the way it is. It's just the cycle of life. And right now the cycle of life has got big chunks out of it. So we're feeling the effects of it now for sure. Uh, cross our fingers, just based on listening to the fishermen. Um, you know, it's just, it, it, everybody's saying the numbers are really bad and people are saying, oh, we're waiting for our late run to show up. And it's like, okay, you cross your fingers and say, our late run's coming. <laughs> Do all your praying and crossing your fingers, but it's just a matter of standing there and saying, okay, well, what was happening four years ago? And you can think about, well, it doesn't change. You know, well, if they're not there, they're not there. Um, if they miraculously show up, and okay, that means we can put a little bit of food on the table, but again, we put conservation first. sense of whether other nations were suffering the same losses, we reached out to Kusin Piel of the Tlaaman First Nation. Kusin is an educator and a leader in her community. No, definitely did not get fish this year. And I think last year, maybe we got like two to four. The year before, we got zero. The year before that, we were really lucky and we got like 15 or 20, but that was the first time in like 10 years we got that many. Um, it's like when there's no fish, we're poor and not, not even like, you know, uh, monetarily poor. It's like, we're like just missing a part of our culture and 
we call it in our village, we call it fish day, like when the nation is able to provide for us and we spend the whole day together um, processing and taking care of our fish. And that's like a celebration day, you know, and it's um, like our whole families get together and work together on fish day. And there's just so much learning and culture and intergenerational things happening um, that we don't, that we're losing out on. And even, you know, you talked about Tina's speaking in her lifetime and there's definitely decline in my lifetime too. And I'm not even 30 yet. Like I remember being young and having fish day be like hundreds of fish in my papa's yard, right? Everyone brings their fish and processes together. But yeah, it's not like that anymore. As a language person, I'm always going to talk about language and emphasize the loss of language, um, you know, when you're losing little bits of culture like that. Like, for example, you know, we were herring people here. And, you know, the herring were fished out, you know, within my papa's lifetime or my great-grandfather's lifetime. And so all of the language that goes along with that, um, goes to sleep too, you know? So, like, I have fish day, and I know what that's all about. Um, but, you know, it's important to realize um, that we need that for my granddaughter or my future grandkids, you know? And my daughters have to know what fish day is. It's so important. You know, we're, maybe we won't know about herring, but we can know about salmon and sockeye, and we need to hang on to that. I asked Kusin if, as a language person, she would share with us the word for fish in her language. The generic word for fish, we use it mostly for salmon, is gen. There's like a little extra breath of air at the end. Gen. program was funded by a grant from the Community Radio Fund of Canada and the Government of Canada's Local Journalism Initiative.